Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Film for Fans podcast, the podcast from movie fans for movie fans. I am your host, Ryan Dunleavy, joined by my co-host, Rob Dunham. Super Mario Dunham, if you would. Super Mario Dunham. Yes. Yes. We are not being paid by Nintendo, which is a shame because we really should be. We absolutely should be paid by Nintendo. If you can yeah. set that up, Nintendo, let's uh, let's get on that. <laughs> <laughs> I will gladly rep old school Nintendo characters on the podcast if uh, if you should so choose. But this is not a video game podcast. It is, in fact, a movie podcast, and we will have an excellent show for you. We'll, of course, dive into the box office, and we'll talk about Netflix cracking down on passwords or trying to kill its own business. You decide. <laughs> Things can uh, be two things. <laughs> they can be two things at once. Uh, we'll have a couple of discussion items. We are going to go through and we are going to rank all the best picture winners from 2000 through 2009 uh, as the first part of a series we're going to be doing the next couple of weeks. And we will discuss James Gunn's DC announcement. All right, Rob, you ready? I am ready. There's a lot to talk about. There's a lot to talk about. Yeah, let's get uh, to it. So the box office, not a whole lot to report, to be honest. Seventh straight week, Avatar, Way of Water, number one, 16 million for this week. Uh, Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, for like the sixth straight week, is number two at 10.5 million. That's made over 140 million now. Uh, the big one here is Haython, which was not even on any of the lists that I saw prior to me seeing huh. this right here. And that did 6.9 million. It must have had a weird open date because it's made a total of 9.5 million, but only did 6.9 million on the weekend. And it's only been out one week. So that's probably why I missed it. It probably debuted on some weird day, which we're going to talk about in a moment anyway. Uh, a Man Called Auto did 6.7 million and Megan at 6.3. Uh, outside of Python, pretty much uh, standard for the last few weeks. Yeah, Python, uh yeah, I didn't even know that was a thing. So I did not either. Um, what's the movie about? Did you look it up? I did, in fact. Um Python, and this looks to be kind of uh, like an Indian cinema film, but it's an Indian spy takes on the leader of a group of mercenaries who have nefarious plans to target his homeland. Hmm. Yeah. So yeah, we we have seen um we have seen some of these movies coming over from the yeah. Bollywood studios um, because they do have a following. And it's very interesting to me that uh, so it varies from region to region. Like if you're going to have these movies in your cinema, but I don't know if you've noticed this, but I have noticed this because I look at showtimes all the time. Yeah. The Regal Cinema in Lancaster carries these. They do. They do. They and, carry them on a regular basis. It's It's very fascinating to me that, Clearly, there's an audience in Lancaster County mm -hmm. that, and I, I, it seems clear from the numbers that there are audiences all across the country that are yeah. um, coming out to see these movies, but they're definitely not as wide release as like a major Marvel movie would be or an animated movie or something right. like that. But they're doing okay numbers, they really are. So it's kind of interesting to see that tick up. Um, yeah, to see that tick up in terms of um, their exposure, their amount of theaters they're in, the um, amount they're producing. 
Uh, so I wonder if that kind of means that outside of uh, U.S. box office, that Indian box office and Indian film industry might be one of the next biggest. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, th- I mean, we we've heard for years about um, the the reach and power of Bollywood, how mm-hmm. it is very established tradition. I mean, we uh, it's very analogous to um, the anime. Yeah. Idea that that's been huge in um in japan and and china for such a long time and now we're i think we're starting to see more people gravitating towards uh one embracing their own culture Mm -hmm. and two checking out other cultures and i think that's why we're seeing things like this start to gain a little foot uh foothold and traction i also wonder if there's not a part of it where um there's been an opening for some of these things because of how stale hollywood has gotten Mm. and i wonder if there's it's it's just hitting a niche with a uh a segment of customer or a segment of fan base that's just dissatisfied with what's coming out in the the american box office yeah so i don't know we'll have to we'll have to pay attention to that going forward and see if this trend continues to hold all right well, we have a number of movies coming out this weekend. Um, now, not all of these will be as wide a release, but uh, they are out there. And uh, the biggest ones are, there's three big ones that we can focus on here. And the first one is Knock at the Cabin. And this is the newest M. Night Shyamalan movie. And it's while vacationing, a girl and her parents are taken hostage by an armed strangers who demand that the family make a choice to avert the apocalypse and this stars dave bautista jonathan groff shout out to the lancaster actor uh ben aldridge and nikki amuka bird so and uh rupert grind is in there Hmm. so yeah yeah Uh, of harry potter fame that is and so yeah latest m night Shyamalan movie and so we have that one the next one up is 80 for brady and you've probably seen a lot of trailers for this this has been widely promoted a group of friends made it their lifelong mission to go to the super bowl and meet nfl superstar tom brady and this stars rita moreno sally field jane fonda lily tomlin harry hamlin and of course you will be getting cameos from of course tom brady and i believe some other uh patriot former Patriot players as well. Uh, So that's 80 for Brady. And the third big release is an animated movie. And this is, sorry about that, The Amazing Maurice. The story follows Maurice, a good streetwise cat who has the perfect money-making scam. He finds dumb-looking kid who who plays a pipe and has his very own horde of rats who are strangely literate. Yeah, uh, so that's that one. And this has a pretty good cast. Hugh Laurie, Amelia Clark, David uh, Thulis, and Himesh Patel, who was in yesterday. Uh, so good cast here. Uh, what do you make of these three? Uh, first question is, who's playing the talking reindeer in uh, Knock at the Cabin? Because obviously Jonathan Groff's in it. 
there's got to be an animated reindeer. Um, but actually, I'm very excited about Knock at the Cabin, hmm. based on a novel called The Cabin at the End of the World, which is quite good. Uh, I would say that I am cautiously optimistic about this because the few opportunities that uh, M. Night has had to adapt other people's material have not gone that well. So yeah. we'll Looking see. You, last airbender. Yeah, because he doesn't typically do things that are written by other people. Yeah. So this will be very fascinating to see. Um, it looks good to me, and I do have a lot of faith in Dave Batista. I think he is the best um, actor that was a former wrestler, and I don't think it's very close <laughs> right now, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, so I, I, I'm always interested to see him in things. Uh, and I have zero interest in seeing 80 for Brady. <laughs> <laughs> um, Even if I were still a Patriots fan, I would have zero interest in seeing 80 for Brady because <laughs> it seems like the dumbest thing I've ever heard of in my entire life. Um, you know, the fan base, if you go to see this movie, you are going to be surrounded by old women. Yeah. It's going to happen. Yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see how what this does at the box office. And I don't know if there's a way to gauge like what the audience for this movie is, because you're. I don't know that you're going to draw out a bunch of NFL football fans to go see a bunch of old women shriek about Tom Brady. So I don't know. I don't know exactly. I mean, is the audience just simply older women for this movie? I'm not sure. Maybe this will be the first movie that they track ticket sales by how many AARP discounts were used. Yes, yes, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I think let's, since we got a lot of content, let's just stop there. There is uh, some smaller movies out, including an anime movie that's coming out, but uh, we can leave that for later. Uh, but let's move on to our another um, news item. And that was the news that Netflix will be cracking down on password sharing. Uh, and so this is really interesting. They are looking to crack down. Um, all streaming services kind of know this is an issue. Uh, but Netflix apparently is going to try and do something about it. Um, they are, there's varying guidelines as to exactly what this is going to look like. One of the kind of enforcement mechanism seems to be that you have to check in on your home Wi-Fi at least once every 30 days on the home of the accounts that you have to check in on. So like if if it was me who purchased the account, then every device has to at least check into Netflix from my personal home network every 31 days. So there's kind of still ways around it seemingly, uh, but it's going to do more location tracking all sorts of things, more um, more double identification type stuff. Um, yeah, it's really trying to crack down on on the rampant password sharing. Uh, Rob, this is obviously getting a lot of negative reactions from people. Um, what are your thoughts? I can kind of see, there's kind of two issues. You can kind of see both sides of whether or not password sharing is a should be a thing and that's a, a kind of a separate idea as to whether or not this is actually a good thing for netflix to tackle 
Yeah, I, the general conceit here, obviously, is that you're trying to make more money. Yeah. By broadening your user base, by making more people subscribe. But I, I really don't think they've adequately gauged how many people they're going to lose. Um, I think they're going to end up as, I think it's going to be a net negative. I don't see any way that it could be otherwise, because I think a lot of people are going to be fed up to the point they're just going to stop using it. And in my opinion, the quality of what's available on Netflix is not high enough for them to do something like this. Yeah. Yeah. I think you've hit the nail on the head right there. I think what this forces you to do is to evaluate um, how much you really want Netflix's content. And I think a hard look at Netflix's content list and you're like, eh, I'm good. <laughs> I think that's the reaction a lot of people are going to have. So whereas before, while there was password sharing, somebody might be willing to check out a series, uh, in which case Netflix still gets to brag about the amount of views and clicks and and all those sorts of things that their new shows are having, which affects like the impact and affects uh, things like you know nominations for Oscars for movies and that sort of stuff. Um, but I think if any if people start to look at hardcore, okay, do I really want to pay for this? I think they're going to say no. I mean, on a surface level, I get it because it's like that's the whole point. We put out content, you pay for the content, and if you're not paying for it, I get that. I get that. You know, companies like, yeah, we shouldn't do this. But I kind of view this as kind of like movie theaters and sneaking in candy. <laughs> like every theater knows that it does it, that people do it because they charge outrageous prices for their food. But yet they still sell plenty of food and they still make a ridiculous amount on the food that they do sell at the theater. And people are still coming in with bringing their own food in. Um, so That's I don't know that it's a problem i don't know that this is the first thing that netflix should be tackling yeah quick sidebar to that i recently found out that a lot of theater chains no longer have that restriction <laughs> really they just didn't tell anybody huh yeah <laughs> you can actually bring your food into most theaters <laughs> without it being a problem and everyone just went around well we were doing that anyway so <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, I, I don't i don't I don't really see the end goal here for Netflix. It just doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, I guess they're assuming if they call a certain amount of people that eventually they'll be able to build that base back up with new mm -hmm. people. But like I said, the in order to do that, you have to have something that's going to draw people in. And I don't think there's a whole lot of that um, currently in their rotation. Yeah. And largely I've, I've, one of the things I found is that I think one of Netflix's problem is content glut. Uh, they have way too much content and it's, there's n almost no filter for like quality. Um, they went and just bought a whole bunch of content and it's, it's hard to say most of it's very good. And so I think they're behind some of the other services 
Um, they're clearly behind HBO when it comes to original content because, I mean, HBO is a TV network that built out into HBO Max. So they already had established shows and that sort of thing. But I think even like the shows that are on Amazon and some of the other shows are are just better. And some of the other streaming services like Paramount have direct from TV networks to rely on. And so, yeah, I just think... Of all the problems for Netflix to tackle, I don't know that this should have been the one on priority. And it's kind of like, it's kind of like, you know, they're the first ones blazing the trail, as it were. So uh, the first ones cracking down on password sharing are going to be the ones who get bloodied. Yeah. And uh, the, the issue is, too, that they have a lot of content, but they seem very um, unwilling to commit to shows that are successful. I mean, the only one you could really point to. Um, I, I guess there are a couple of good points. You could point to Ozark, you could point to Stranger Things, um, but there's not a ton of shows they've done that last. Yeah, They seem to do one or two seasons then give up on yeah. shows that develop a following. And if you consistently pull the rug out from under people like that, and we've seen the same thing with um, the Fox Network and science fiction shows. Yeah, yeah people are going to be very hesitant to trust you. And I think Netflix is losing that battle right now with a lot of people. I think people are very hesitant to invest themselves emotionally in a Netflix show because they don't really believe it's going to last. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, and that's the issue. That's the issue for Netflix. And so that's why it doesn't feel like a tackling this is should be, what they're making headlines for right now. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but now let's move on from, from that. And we will, we will move on to our discussion. And so we're going to do a number of uh, features um, leading up to the Oscars this year. And one of them is we're going to go through, do, do a three-part series ranking the best picture winners. Uh, so we're going to do, uh, this week, we're going to do the years 2000 through 2009, and uh, we will rank the 10 best picture winners in order of which ones we think are best, and we'll have a little discussion about them. Uh, so just to give you a rundown of which movies won uh, the Oscars from 2000 to 2009, uh, in 2000, American Beauty won. 2001 was Gladiator. Uh, 2002 was A Beautiful Mind. 2003, Chicago. Uh, 2004, Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. 2005, Million Dollar Baby. 2006, Crash. 2007, The Departed. 2008, No Country for Old Men. And 2009, Slumdog Millionaire. So that's that's your uh, that's your ten movies we have to work with, and each of us independently ranked uh, our one through ten on those, and we're going to just discuss them for a moment. Uh, so, Rob, if we're going for number ten, what's what's on your list at number ten? So I'm a bit at a handicap here because there are two that i've not seen okay have you seen all 10 i have seen all 10 okay i have i did not see million dollar baby or crash so those okay. are two back to back 
So um, by default, I'm going to have to make them nine and 10. Fair enough. Um, and I, I don't think it's fair for me to make a value statement on either one. Cause I haven't, <laughs> I've, I've heard a lot about both of them. I've heard uh-huh. a lot about what's good about both of them and a lot of what people don't like about both of them. Yes. But I have not seen them. I do know that, um, in both cases, there are some pretty strong, uh, opinions, both positive and negative about both these movies, probably more the million dollar baby than the other. Yeah. Um, so I'm I'm just gonna go ahead and say those are are nine and ten in my rankings just by virtue of not having sure. had the opportunity to see them yet. Yeah. Um. So why don't you give your um bottom two also then? Sure. Uh. So my number ten on this list is Chicago from 2003. Uh. Partly this is stylistically for me. Uh. There's a, there's a lot of personal reasons why I don't love this movie. One, I'm not really into musicals, so that right there is a uh is a drain on the uh on the charts there for me also i really really don't like renee zellweger something about her just bothers me and so you have a musical starring renee zellweger and yeah that means uh you're going to be buried at the bottom of this list uh so there's a lot of personal reasons for me why this one would be 10 um i understand why people liked it and i understand uh why it was good i still don't know that i would put it i mean musicals by and seem to inherently uh lead to winning the oscars that or at least being nominated they used to win a lot more but they get nominated a lot um i think it's just kind of a hollywood bias on that front but yeah so chicago is at number 10 for me uh number nine for me is million dollar baby uh, the main reason why this is number nine, I would guess there's two reasons. Um, one is this is not a movie that after you watch it, you're like, oh, I'm going to buy that and watch it again. <laughs> the nature of the content of it. And I mean, there is some controversial elements to it. And I did not like, there's a reason why people didn't like this movie. And I think it's a valid reason. Uh, was the movie well done? Yes, the movie was well done. But it's not one when I look at the legacy of the movies on this list, it's not one that I ever care to watch again, which I cannot say about most of the movies on this list. So I think when we're looking at it from, you know, from a couple decades on now, that um, it's going to be lower on the list because I don't really feel like I want to see it again. (laughs) That makes sense. All right, so let's move on to number eight. What do you have for number eight, Rob? So number eight, and I'm going to guess this might be slightly higher on your list, um, but I have The Departed at number eight. Mm. The reason why I have it at number eight is just because you said with Million Dollar Baby, it's not a movie you would like rewatch many times. To me, The Departed is kind of like that just because of the intensity of it. Mm. Um, it is very much like an in-your-face movie for two plus hours. Yeah, there there is no holding back. Like I can't deny that it's um, from from all accounts a very realistic portrayal of what um, like an inner-city uh, mafia gang-type culture would be. But that culture, man, is <laughs> harsh. Um, 
you know, I, I will say that I occasionally use uh, interesting language, but this movie is that to like 11 <laughs> at times. Yeah. Um, I would say almost to the point where it feels unnecessary in some points, which, you know, is, is hard for me to feel that way really about a movie because I have a pretty high tolerance. Um, but I, I do think like the, the, the overarching negative I would say for the, about this movie for me is just that it is like, it's the, the intensity is just seems ratcheted up throughout the, almost the entire movie. Yeah. There's not, there's not really a moment to relax. Mm-hmm. So I think some people would say that's probably it's like best point. But for me, it made me not want to like go back to it, revisit it over and over again. So um, I still think it's a good movie. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. Um, but it's not like a favorite movie of mine. So that's why I have it. <laughs> All right. So number eight for me is Crash. Um, it's It's an ensemble movie. Um, it has a lot of things to do. There's a lot of kind of themes that get weaved in through it. Um, there's a lot. They talk a lot about about cultures and, and interactions of race. And um, the stories, I love the interweaving storylines. And it was a really well done movie. I just thought their conclusions about everything was a little bleak. Um, and I don't necessarily love how they i don't really love how they came down on some of it um and the themes that they rode through it um basically um there's a bunch of characters and they kind of show their positive side and their negative side but i i think most of the message overall that you tend to read on it tends to be a little cynical and a little negative um so that's one of the reasons why I have it lower on this list. Um, I've seen it a few times and it is a good movie from a, from a movie making standpoint, but there is, I, I wouldn't call it the most enjoyable movie on the list. So yeah. So it's further down. Uh, number uh, seven. Number seven for me, I have a uh, slumdog millionaire. Mm, as do I. That's a movie I actually quite enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the only reason why I have it, this low is because when you look at the majority of these movies with the exception of a a couple that i have a little higher up i think a lot of these movies are very grand and broad in scope Mm -hmm. this movie is much more focused Mm -hmm. i i've always ever since it won the award i've found that very very interesting decision yeah um i I really do like Danny Boyle quite a bit, mm-hmm. uh, the director of this movie. I like the movie a lot. I think it's a very good movie, but at the same time, I remember even when I watched it the first time, I was like, I love this movie, but I, I'm, I'm having a hard time like almost accepting the fact that enough people liked it as much as I did for it to win. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that's me being like... Um, you know snooty or like on a high horse about this movie or whatever yeah. uh but the academy has proven since that they you know they'll pretty much vote for the movie they want regardless of if yeah. it's popular um yeah. with the people or not and so i, can... I think it, yeah I, 
I think it's a deserving winner, but it just stands out to me on this list almost is just an odd, like it, it seems like the, the black sheep yeah. of the list, if that makes any sense. Well, it does because I think Slumdog Millionaire is where you start to see the switch in the Academy, which really comes into play in the next decade of, of winners where they just kind of choose one that they want to for reasons and and then it ends up winning. I think this was the first one where you could really say that. Most of the other winners on this list would have been movies that everyone would have seen. There were a lot of people would have seen and it would have it would have been an obvious nomination. Uh, Slumdog Millionaire was not that. Uh, the reason why it's kind of lower on my list for me is partially some of the stuff you said, but also partially because it starts to feel dated, um, especially with the format of like the who wants to be a millionaire type game show in India. Um, like we're so far past like that, that format and that type of like primetime game show being relevant anymore um, that I don't think... I, I just think it feels it starts to feel a little bit dated, even though it's still a very good movie and a good story about, you know, overcoming odds and all those type of things. So the poignancy is still very much there with Slumdog Millionaire, but I think it's a little dated. All right. Number six. Number six, I have Chicago. And okay. um, we've talked about this before. There's clearly obviously um we agree on a lot of things, but then we have our slight disconnects on certain subgenres. And I like musicals more than yeah. you, and that's probably due a lot to the fact that music is my life. Yeah. Um. So, I I liked the musical Chicago before it was a movie. So seeing a movie version made of it was pretty cool, and um, I like how they did a lot of the numbers in the movie. I. As you can see, it's still not in my top five for the decade, so I don't think it's like otherworldly. Yeah. Um, I I would not put it on the same level as uh, I I think we'll probably talk about this when we talk about the other decades, but I wouldn't put it on the same level as like La La Land. Yeah, I like for, that more. Sure. Yeah, yeah, than Chicago, but I do think Chicago was pretty well done. But you've already talked about um, your thoughts on it, so I don't have a whole lot sure. to to say in in an argument for it other than I like it. <laughs> which is really all the argument you need yeah. <laughs> um number six for me is a beautiful mind and i know some people might have this higher on their list um the reason i think from this point on all the movies are exceptionally good and so we're just parsing i think for me there's a clear top there's a clear top three and then four through six are really, really good movies that in, in any other decade probably would have been significantly higher on the list. The Beautiful Mind is a great movie. Um, this was right in the heyday of Russell Crowe, where he kind of took the box office by storm and was the top guy around. He had just participated in another movie that's on this list the year before. And um, so Russell Crowe was like the top name in Hollywood at this point playing... Uh, the story of a man who slowly finds out he has schizophrenia. Um, the aspects of this, I love, 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 love the first half of this movie. Once we get start getting into the mental health struggle aspect of it, I don't enjoy it as much. Um, it's where a lot of the meat of the story is. Um, 
but it's not my favorite. That that topic is not my favorite topic to cover cinematically. Uh, so that's the only reason why it's it's at number six and not higher up on the list. But it's a very good movie. Yeah, I w- I'm going to go ahead and say my number five and number four because my number four is A Beautiful Mind. Okay. Uh, and I feel the same um, way about you as far as regards to the first half versus the second half of the movie. Um, I do think Russell Crowe showed in this movie, especially right off the back of Gladiator, what a good actor he is because the characters in those two movies are vastly different. Yes. But he was believable as, as both. Um, and I think that's the, the greatest test of an actor's ability. We talked about this with Daniel Craig, James Bond versus Benoit Blanc. The fact that they are two entirely disparate characters from each other, but he pulls both of them off, makes you believe he's both of those people. Yeah. Um, so Russell Crowe was phenomenal in A Beautiful Mind. Um, my number five was uh, Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. Mm. I have it at number five because I feel in a lot of ways that it might not be the best movie in the Lord of the Rings series. Mm-hmm. And I, it kind of feels like an achievement award for the work that was done in the first two. Um, not that that's not deserved that it got recognition, but I really, I've always felt that the win for the return of the King was a win for all three movies, not just that movie by itself. Yeah. yeah and I, I love but that's just why I have it where I have it. Okay. Yeah. I'll get to it when I talk about it on my list. Uh, my number five was American Beauty. Um, American Beauty is a fascinating movie. Um, it's, and we'll get to this one when, when I talk about uh, one that I watched this week. But it's always interesting when you set up a movie by telling the audience right from the get-go that the main character is dead. The main character dies. Uh, that's always an interesting start to the movie. Uh but watching the journey of the characters through this movie, it's it's really it's really fascinating to watch all the interactions and the character interactions and how their storylines play off of each other, all affected in and around Kevin Spacey and his decision to just stop caring, <laughs> to care but not to stop caring. Um, it's it's a really fascinating look at how one person's journey affects everyone else's. Um, also, really interesting cinema cinematography in this one, and really interesting techniques used um, that really stand out, and really draw your attention to the way it was shot. Um, sometimes that's a bad thing, but I think in a case of American Beauty, it's good. Uh, so that's what I have at number five. Um, for number four, I have No Country for Old Men. Uh, this movie is great. I mean, it is great. <laughs> the, the, the creepy character from Javier Bardem with the haircut and the, uh, the compressed air rifle and like his, his weird language friendo and, and all the type of things about it. I mean, if there was not a more obvious, like best supporting actor winner, uh, for, for being a bad guy, it was Javier Bardem and No Country for Old Men. Um, and it's really it's really a testament to like how we deal with the problem of evil. And and so it just I mean it's amazing. It, it is amazing. There's some real, real tension in this movie. What did you have? So I did five and four. Your number four yeah. was 
Beautiful Mind. Beautiful Mind. Okay. Uh, so my, you, my number was American Beauty. And I think it's fascinating slash disturbing watching this movie now, knowing that a lot of Kevin Spacey's character turned out to be actually who he was as a person. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> it completely changes how you watch this movie. And it's uncomfortable. Yeah. In a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also mentioned- definitely not a movie Hollywood would make these days. Yeah. You could yeah, say that you rightly mentioned- or wrongly, but it's not a movie they would make these days. You mentioned the cinematography and some of the like fantasy sequences that he was having. Um, some of the editing in this movie transitions between scenes. This was one of the first movies that really jumped out to me as being very impressive when it mm-hmm. came to stylistically yeah um looked how it felt um i think we've seen more and more movies start to do this and really embrace like uh ideas of color palette and and editing cuts and flashes and things i mean red is just such a powerful color in this movie um indicative of a lot of very important things that happen yeah Um, that there there's something very impressive about how they chose to shoot this movie. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I, I've always thought it's, it's high on my like overall list. I would say it's, if one day when I sit down to make my top 50 movie list of all time, it will be in the top 50. I don't know where, but um, I just think it's a great, great movie. So that's why I had number three on this list. Speaking of that, I'm I've started working on my top fifty list organically. Like when one pops mm-hmm. into my mind, I just jot it down on the list, and then once I get close to that, I'll start ranking them. But um, huh. that's what I'm doing. I'm just jotting. Once I think of one, I jot it down organically on my list, and and we'll see how it goes. Uh, number three for me is The Departed. I love this movie. It is so great. I have a list of movies that I watch, like a couple of movies that I watch around um St. Patrick's Day and this is one of them and Rob is not wrong on anything he says it is it is in your face it is all over the place there's lots of action there's lots of intensity there's lots of language um but the dynamic of how they interplay the characters where you have an actual cop undercover as a gangster and a gangster undercover as a cop and the two sides playing off each other and their their interactions back and forth and and the characters between Alec Baldwin and between um everyone else uh really really just you know Jack Nicholson everybody um every single character in this film is incredibly strong and and the way the way it goes back and forth and like they end up, you know, kind of dating the same girl and they don't see each other and they don't. It's there's so much drama and tension and action and. um, It's just brilliant. It's, it's a brilliantly done film and. It was a very popular film, and this was where we started. This was in 2007. We're starting to get the sense of are they going to let popular movies win? So it was good to see that uh, The Departed won for 2007. All right, Rob, number two. 
Uh, number two on my list, which I believe is number one on your list, was Gladiator. Mm-hmm. And that's just because I have a movie that I like better. <laughs> but um, it's really 1A and 1B, I mean, mm-hmm. for me, because I actually saw this, as Ryan knows in the podcast, uh, loyal listeners know that I watched this for the very first time within the last year. Yep. Um, and, man, it, impressive there, there are very few movies, in my opinion, that are deserving of the word epic. And I don't think there is a better descriptor for the mm-hmm. movie Glass than that word. Yeah. Because it just has such grand scope. Mm-hmm. And Russell Crowe is just a powerhouse in this movie. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, number two for me is Lord of the Rings Return of the King. And I would say you are you are right in a sense and that it did feel like and everyone kind of like subtly acknowledged at the time that giving all like this Lord of the Rings Return of the King was it was up for 11 Oscars and won all 11. Um, so it did in some ways and they even openly acknowledged that it was kind of like, well, Every single one of these movies was flipping amazing, but we can't keep giving it the, the best picture every time. So we'll wait till the end and then you get everything. Um, so there was a sense in which that is. However, each one of those movies independently was the best movie in its year. <laughs> so um, I think I, I think it's totally it's totally while it may not have been the best of the three films. I still have it that high because each one of those movies was flipping amazing. And and so I know some people don't think they've aged well. I I would not agree with that. I know some of the animation and some of those things, I mean, obviously as technology gets better and these were made 20 years ago, um, as, as technology gets better, some of that looks more dated, but I still think the movies hold up. And it really, the world he created for each of those movies was none unlike anything I've ever seen. Just as you say, Gladiator was epic. This was epic from like the, the fantasy aspect of it and, and creating such a vivid world is incredibly difficult. And, and he pulled that off. Peter Jackson pulled that off in a way that I've never seen before. And I don't know that I've seen since. All right. Number one, Rob. So the only one that's left that I haven't said is no country for old men. That's right. <laughs> What's the most you've ever lost in the coin flip? Um, and uh, sugars, the character played by Javier Bardem is in my opinion, the best bad guy I've seen in the movie. Oh yeah. It's amazing. And Tommy Lee Jones is great in this movie. Josh Brolin is good in this movie. The whole movie is good. Yeah. And I I like everything about it. I like the Cohen's direction. I like it's just man, it's so good. Yeah. Um it's it's hard it, it's one of those things there's something about the movies that are your absolute favorites that they spark something in you on a personal level. Mm-hmm. That and I'm sure you feel the same way about Gladiator. Mm-hmm. That it's almost hard to really describe why they're so high (laughs) because they just hit something in you and you say, this is a movie. 
Yeah. And that's how I feel about No Country for Old Men. Um, It's just, it blew me away from the very first time I saw it. And I love watching it every time that I see it again. So that's why it's number one on my list from this decade. Yeah. This decade had so many excellent movies that won Best Picture. Like the margins between some of these are very, very thin. Like I have zero problem, no country for old men, men being number one on your list. Uh, but for me, it's Gladiator. Um, I agree with you that that it's sometimes difficult to understand why your favorite movies are your absolute favorite movies. And I think I used this podcast a couple months ago to explore that one for me myself. And that's why we did the two-part revisited of Gladiator. And where we went through the the scenes in the movie and talking about it, I literally sat down with this movie a couple months ago and wrote out every scene, wrote out what was going on and why I liked it. I have a, a giant list of every single scene on that movie and my thoughts about it. And my intention was to write uh, an article about the best scenes, but I never got around to doing that. But I, I intend to revisit it at some point. But suffice it to say, it's very, very difficult difficult to have an epic action movie that is trumped by its own story. And that is one of the things that Gladiator pulled off. Um, it revitalized the whole sword and sandal genre. Um, it brought Russell Crowe to the top of the profession. Uh, Ridley Crowe or Ridley Scott in direction was unbelievable um the the nature of this film the scenery the artistic element to it uh, you just don't see action films that are this beautiful and artistic and that's one thing where that's one of the things i love about the john wick movies is because they feel artistic and that's the same thing with gladiator although gladiator piles on top of the action an unbelievably complex intense and detailed story every character in this is a dynamic character so gladiator number one for me all right well thanks for exploring the rankings of best picture winners from 2000 through 2009 uh we're gonna we're gonna pull back the wayback machine and do from 1990 to 1999 next time on the podcast uh hmm. before we get to that uh we got one more thing to talk about and it's kind of a big deal uh, I don't know that we can yet spend a ton of time on it because um, all of this is unfolding further in the future, but James Gunn has now announced the roadmap for DCU. And he came out just in the nick of time, like literally the last day until he told some of us, he told everyone he'd have details by the end of January. And there he was uh, at the uh, on January 31st, giving us the details. Uh, there's a lot in here. Um, so highlights, uh, basically an overview of this. He laid out basically a decade's worth of ideas, uh, 10 films, a couple of TV shows, even some, uh, some talk of some other things as well. And I'm not sure what to make of it, to be perfectly honest. What were your broad thoughts, uh, before we get into some of the detail, what are your broad thoughts on on the announcement and what this means? So it's very broad and very wide-reaching. Yeah. And ambitious. Mm -hmm. But the same could be said about 
Marvel when um, several years ago they released their plans for the shows and movies they were going to be coming out with over the next phase of things. I think it's a good idea to have an actual roadmap plan for things because I don't think DC has had that. Yeah. <laughs> um, seems it's been very scattershot, very by the seat of their hands. So this feels like a step in the positive direction, but also there's a lot of um, trepidation or uh, just unknown mm-hmm. when it comes to all this because we really don't know if some of these characters can be adapted successfully into things people will care about because some of the characters they've tried to and they have not succeeded. Yeah. Or did as strongly as they would have hoped. Um, I, I, what about you? What, what are your, some of your big picture? My big picture things is I felt underwhelmed by the announcement. Um, when I look at what they were planning on doing now, if you're a comic book nerd and you know all of the comics and you know what things they're referencing are, you may be very excited about this. So I'm more than willing to say that um, someone with more knowledge of the source material he's drawing from um, might feel differently. But as someone who generally likes superhero movies but was never a big comic guy, um, I'm not particularly in like excited and enthralled uh, with what he announced. Um, so let's get into let's get into the specific announcement. Uh, phase one, where he's calling chapter one uh, for the DCU reboot is called Gods and Monsters. And it will officially kick off with the first movie that they're going to do from this, which is uh, Superman Legacy, which is currently slated for to come out in July of 2025. Uh, part of what he's saying is that everything from that movie onward will be considered canon. That doesn't mean some of the stuff that's kind of lingering in between won't end up in there eventually, but for sure, everything from that point on will be canon. Um, They are announcing um, a series of movies and the movies will be in addition to Superman Legacy, it will be The Authority, which features Wildstorm characters, uh, will join the DCU. Uh, Brave and the Bold, which will introduce its Batman and Robin, uh, and you'll have a father-son story there. Uh, you'll have Supergirl, Woman of Tomorrow, and you'll have Swamp Thing. So those are the movies that have been announced. Uh, there are several other movies in the works along with those. Uh, the TV series, which will all be on HBO Max, which will all go to HBO Max straight, uh, Creature Commandos, it's a seven-episode animated show featuring the Amanda Waller character, uh, which will star Viola Davis. Uh, Booster Gold, Booster Gold uses basic technology from the future to pretend to be a superhero in present day. Uh, you got Lanterns which is an enormous TV series event following intergalactic cops, uh, John Stewart and Hal Jordan as they uncover a dark mystery and Paradise Lost set in Themyscira, the home of the Amazons and the birthplace of Wonder Woman. Uh, so that's going to focus on like how it ended up with an island of all women. 
so that's the new stuff coming up, but they have a whole slate of things that are scheduled to come out between then and now. And they're kind of up and down on, on what their plans are for those specific features, other than to say that they're not necessarily going to be canon, but they're not really canceling them. What did you make of all this? So I feel um, the thing I'm most interested in, and it's not really a, a movie thing, <laughs> <laughs> but they've tried to adapt the Green Lantern into movies a couple times. Yeah. And it's been pretty universally panned. In fact, they made fun of the Green Lantern in uh, Teen Titans, you know, the movies, which was very funny. And then you had Ryan Reynolds uh, secretly admitted he'd never watched the movie and then sat yeah. down and was live tweeting the movie when he watched it for the first time. I think it was like a year or two ago, which yeah. is pretty funny. Um, but I find the concept they're talking about with this TV show to be very interesting. Um, I, I, I think the most interesting thing about this whole deal, and we've talked about this with DC before, that they've tried, it seems, to play into more of a dark type um, feeling than Marvel has mm -hmm. is given their location on HBO Max, I think they are going to have the ability to maybe carve out a different audience than Marvel has presently. Yeah. Uh, now the question is, is that going to be a big enough audience for these things to be viable and successful? And we don't know the answer to that mm -hmm. yet because there has not been an overarching plan. One thing I will say is that one show that seems to be in the same kind of vein, um, at least spiritually connected to these upcoming projects is Peacemaker, which has mm -hmm. been pretty widely acclaimed as a good show. So the question is, are we going to follow that mm -hmm. um, with more quality on HBO Max or DC? Um, and there's a lot of question marks. And a lot of that, as we talked about before, some other things is they have not really built a legacy of trust in their universe. Yeah. By how much they've changed things. Yeah. And they have a lot of properties out there that they're not sure what they're going to do with, but they're going to run. Like we're talking about Shazam. We're talking about The Flash. We're talking about Aquaman. Um, you have the whole like side running Joker series. You have the side running Batman series from Matt Reeves. All that stuff is going to continue. Uh, so they're basically going to their solution to this of having all these threads everywhere is just to tell you what's in what's going to be in canon and what isn't. And that's like that's their solution. It seems to be right now. Like, yeah, this is not going to be part of what's going forward. Enjoy. Um, one thing I will say about. Uh, the TV show aspect along with movies is I don't think it has helped Marvel. Not that some of the shows haven't been well watched, but I think with so much Marvel content, the more Marvel ties into their TV shows, the more that people are dropping out because there's just too much content for people to keep up with. So what I would say so far, it seems to me that Star Wars is benefiting from their TV shows because they've taken a break from some of their movies and their TV shows kind of fill the gap of people wanting that content. Um, but they're not overwhelming people. Whereas I think 
what I've thought from Marvel is that their TV shows, in addition to all their movies, makes it too much to keep up with. I think there's a danger in DC going down that same road, especially if what they're they because they have a bad reputation and because um, it's not immediately obvious how attractive some of these characters are. So we'll see. But I mean, all of this, all of this is the future. So we don't have to spend a ton of time on it. But any other thoughts? Uh, it's just a lot is remaining to be seen. And yeah. we'll only really know when we see it. Yep. Uh, so we'll keep an eye on that. And of course, we'll keep you updated as we get to things. So let's move on to our watch list. Rob, what'd you watch this week? So I watched a few movies, but the two I will point out are two I watched yesterday. I watched uh, Ernest Goes to Jail. Mm, yes. Classic. Man, this movie classic. Was absolute classic in my house growing up. We watched yep. it over and over with uh immature boys you know it's just it's a it's a good movie for immature boys to watch (laughs) and apparently i'm not super mature yet because i still found it very funny that i think that one i'm not sure if ernest goes to jail or ernest goes to camp was my favorite uh but those two were up there i watched them on a regular basis yeah and i would say this is probably the first time in man it might it might Honestly, might have been 15 or 20 years since I've seen this movie. I would say probably for me, I would say I probably haven't watched any of them since the early 90s. Yeah, it was, 90s, it was like hilarious 90s. as I'm watching this movie, like I I remembered the entire movie. Oh yeah. Like I remembered specific lines as scenes were coming. I remember dying laughing at them as a as a little kid. And it, it was fun to watch my kids watch it also because they found it funny and it's still funny. So yeah. that was cool. Um, the other movie I watched on a completely different wavelength, you could not be more different, uh, the movie Contact starring Jodie Foster. Oh, yes. I love Contact. That's a great and movie. That is a fantastic movie. Um, I had only ever seen the first 45 minutes or an hour of this movie. Mm-hmm. I seen like through what actually happened um so i had i had somewhat of an opinion based on the first 45 minutes um, i don't remember why i stopped watching it it's like a movie we started watching then it didn't finish yeah uh, but it's a really really excellent science fiction movie um i think they do a good job of giving you just enough of the out of this world fiction part of things that it doesn't um go completely off the rails like it feels very grounded as a movie yeah and then there's just like 20 minutes of absolute just like amazing out of this world stuff literally yeah um and this speaks to what a christopher nolan fanboy i am but as i was watching contact when she was going through the wormhole and doing everything i was like i really want to watch interstellar right now totally so interstellar is on the list to watch this weekend i've got to watch it again it's been too long yeah 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 Yeah, contact does such a good job of giving you not only the science but the impact and the philosophical debate and underlying aspect of things and uh it's such a good movie um so i'll highlight too as well i will highlight um the lovely bones that was one I watched this week. I'd never seen it before. 
Uh, like I said, I've been following this weekly movie challenge, and this week's challenge was to watch a movie that had the part of the human anatomy in it. So in other words, you could watch There Will Be Blood, or you could watch Happy Feet, or something like that. So I chose The Lovely Bones. Um, and very similar to... Um, very similar to um, American Beauty. This is another one where the character announces right off the top that they're dead and that they die. And so most of the story takes place with that. Ah, there's the book. Rob's got the so this book. Is the, this is in my stack of books to read this year. So okay. I found it fitting to show you that I have that because I'll be reading that at some point in the near yeah. future. Um, I don't know what to make of it. And that's my honest opinion of it. I don't know what to make mm -hmm. of it. Um, I thought it was okay. I thought it was decent. Um, I don't know that it all came together as a movie the way you would want it to come together. Um, I left at the end and I'm like, really? That's that's how they're ending it? I, I mean, I watched over two days because I started it fairly late at night. So maybe I missed some of the context along those lines. Um I, you could tell that it it belongs in the list of like that young adults that young adult fiction that was really really popular in the late two thousands early twenty tens uh, along with that series including you had Saoirse Ronan who was who was like, I think like fourteen or fifteen at the time so it was one of her early movies um, but it really belongs in that genre but it's it's a much more serious type content than that um so yeah i'm not sure what to make of it it's okay but that's that's my, not where i would leave it my wife doesn't like one particular part of this movie and mm. that's Uchi is the bad guy mm. because he's a very good bad guy and it's very unlike a lot of his characters yeah yeah so i i will say that um for me i think his performance is quite good in this yeah. movie um probably I, I would i would argue that his performance is the best part of the movie yeah i would agree with that um i also i would just mention that i've watched groundhog day because this week was february 2nd and so <laughs> i watched groundhog day i've had a lot of thoughts on that but i'll say and then you watch groundhog day and then you watched groundhog day that's right uh <laughs> the other one I'll, I'll just i'll just spend a moment on is 12 angry men I watched the 1997 version of 12 Angry Men. I have watched the one that I think was done in the 50s, uh, which is also quite good. But it's a great locked room drama. Uh, and it's it's a really, really good locked room drama because all the characters are forced to interact with each other in such a way. Um, this is another movie that Hollywood would not make now because they would never get away with casting an entire cast of all men. <laughs> and, <laughs> And the problem is, like, not to say that you couldn't do a version of this that had women in the jury, because even now, like, you know, it'd be hard pressed to find any jury that didn't have women in it. Um, that being said, like, the dynamic of this particular thing is set by the fact that they are all men. Like, the, all those interactions would change if some of them were women. So you basically have to rewrite the whole thing if you were going to do this with women, which you could do, and it would probably still be good. But I love the dynamic of it, and it feels like a throwback. And I, and you know, getting to watch characters interact when they have to interact and figure out a way to get through it. Plus, there's the criminal murder mystery element of it, which is always fun. 
All right. That is it. That is the show. Thanks for checking out Found for Fans and make sure you check out. <laughs> Sorry. Make sure you check out filmforfans.com where we have our list going up of the best movies.